Welcome to the teaching ministry of Pastor Deborah Grohler. We pray that you will be blessed and empowered by today's message. Uh, what did we see? We saw Jacob united with his family after weeks of just laboring on the dust of his footsteps. We've seen that. Um, not only did he unite with his family, but he meets up with Pharaoh with this unusual a way to greet someone for the first time, especially someone that in the natural would be kind of under who this Pharaoh was. I mean, this guy's a shepherd coming in with his long beard and, you know, his staff wobbling on his dislocated hip. And the first thing he does when he comes in is he blesses Pharaoh. So we talked about that last week and what a strange thing that was and what the scriptures say about that. We also saw last week in our mighty time together just a settling in a place called Goshen that is in the northwest part of Egypt, a plush, prosperous, the best, richest part of the land, as a matter of fact. And all the while, while this was going on, Joseph continues to be the governor over Egypt. Amazing. And finally, we learned that after 17 years, this patriarch that we have been watching and following of 17 years, that he reaches those final days of his life, and he calls for Joseph to come to his side and asks him to agree. Asks him to agree, more than agreement, he asks for a covenant, a covenant agreement that Joseph would make it his business to take Jacob's bones out of Egypt when that time indeed come that he would pass through. Jacob remembered the covenant sworn apparently by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he desires to be placed in the holy land, the ground promised by Yahweh. And I just have to say, this is one of Jacob's high moments because, you know, he, he was there and he left. He's a little confused, I'm sure, as to why am I leaving when you already told us this was our land, but he's so sure, he's so confident that, that God desires his people the children and the family of Abraham, Isaac, and himself, that they are to be in this land of Canaan, that he even desires that if he doesn't even see it, he wants what's left of his body to be transferred over to rest and rest in peace in that land. What a testimony of expectation. That's what I want to say about that. I think that is one of the highlights. We haven't seen many in Jacob's life, but this is one of them. I mean, do we make those kind of plans like, do we, do we live so much in the natural that if we don't see it, then, well, you know, then we didn't really get to realize the promise of it. You know, some promises are generational, and we take part in those generational promises by doing what we're called to do and being obedient then so that God can fulfill the promise maybe to a generation beyond us. That's why what we do as parents and grandparents matters so much. You don't know the seeds that are being planted you know, when the word tells us that you will be saved and your household, well, that, that kind of has a little condition based on are we talking to our children about the Lord? Are we talking to our grandchildren about the Lord? I mean, this coming weekend, I was just with Chris's daughter um, last Sunday, and this weekend we're going to be going to Ray's house, and, you know, and of course they're going to have a little bunny here and an Easter bear. So you better believe when it comes nap time, we're having to talk about the stone being rolled away. Okay, not that they don't teach him that, but I just feel like that is something we're called to be and to do. You know, wouldn't it just be great that your grandchildren know you 
as somebody they can call for prayer or that they can, they just know that you've got that connection with the Lord and how that really can encourage them to have that very same connection too. So I think this is a high moment as he testifies his faith that he believes what God spoke to his grandpa and his father about where the children of Israel are to reside. So, and chapter 50 tells us that, guess what? That's exactly what did happen. We'll study that when we get there, but Joseph did carry his casket, his bones, out of Egypt, carried it right into the place of Canaan. We'll get to it. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture to see. And he was not just taken into Canaan. He was taken to Mechpelah. Could you say that? Mechpelah? Do you remember weeks and weeks ago that we studied that he bought that off the Hittite, that, that plot of ground for his family to be buried in? And this, So this is a family plot, a family place. So it's not just going to be him that's going to be buried there as he requested, but Abraham is there, Sarah is there, Isaac is there, Rebecca is there, Leah is there. Who, who am I missing? Rachel. Is Rachel there? No, why? Where's Rachel? Bethlehem. Remember, she died in childbirth on the way, and so she was taken and buried in Bethlehem. And he, we will see, will be buried, be buried in that place. Just an absolute amazing thing. I guess we can relate to that because some of us have experienced that lately. I just went to my dad's site over the weekend, and ah, just hard stuff, just hard stuff. But that's where people desire to do, and you try to oblige that as much as possible. So we have been watching the amazing life of Jacob unfold before us, and how many know it has been like the movie, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It has been all of that. It's interesting to note, though, that, that half of the 50 chapters, we know that, that Joseph takes up literally 25% of the book of Genesis, and the reason we've established is because he's a picture and a type of Jesus. And so that's the reason. But I have to tell you, Jacob is even a little more profound than that. Jacob takes up half of the 50 chapters in one way or another, maybe not ongoing dialogue and ongoing text and story, but in one way or another, Jacob is involved in half of the 50 books. This patriarch has a unique way of just being so different than the patriarchs before him. But I, I wanna say, in case I didn't say this last week, I'm so thankful that there is a Jacob in the patriarch line. Because when we look at Abraham, hey, sometimes Abraham's a tough act to follow. Even Isaac, my goodness, he was willing to lay down at 20 years old on a mountain and, and with a knife to his throat from Abraham to, to his life to be taken away. So super obedient. I mean, could we do that? But then we come to this patriarch Jacob that we're going to pretty soon put him in the grave and take his bones to Canaan. And I'm so thankful for him because I have to say, sometimes my life and my days are more like Jacob than they are Abraham. Amen? Can you relate to that? See, Jacob's good, bad, and ugly. I can relate to that. Some days, you know, I'm Jacob, and some days I'm Israel. Anybody? Yeah. That, that, that just cohesence back and forth in the balancing of the name of Israel, which we know means governed by God, and then Jacob, right? Deceiver, trickster. Hey, sometimes we... 
hmm, what's today going to be like? Are we going to be governed by God? Or are we going to, what's it going to be like? So isn't it amazing how the Lord puts him in that patriarchal line? I feel like that's just amazing relationship that we can relate to. And he's the last one. We don't see the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. Or the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and, and what? And Joshua. No, we don't see that. It, it, it ends here. So we see that name going forth, and there's never another name added. It is only these three. Why is that? We're going to find out today. Touch your neighbor. You're going to know that today. Amen. We have three chapters left. Tonight is the 102nd teaching. <laughs> Pat, why are you laughing? That's not funny, Pat. Okay. Today is the 102nd teaching in the book of Genesis. Whew. We could be the scholars of the book now, but we have three more chapters. We could end up being 120 CDs before this is over. I'm not sure, but um, again, three chapters remaining. And I want you to just be aware of some conclusions that we're going to see as we approach these last three chapters. Some loose ends, if you will, will be tied up. The first thing is we're going to see Jacob's life end. As we've been studying and just walking, as I said, in the dust of his sandals, we're, we're going to see that come to an end. We will also see tonight how the birthright and the seed line will move forward in the family. This is an important night to see and understand that. And lastly, we're going to see the end of Joseph's story also. Now, I was just thinking this, kind of creeping ahead a little bit, and I think probably we are going to have to at least read through the first chapter of Exodus to properly bring closure to where we've been because it just kind of progresses right into that book. Remember, the numbers, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers are not ordained by God. Man put them in place and put titles on things and closures on things so that we have an ease of writing and knowing where we left off. But the truth is, and we'll see that tonight as we go forward, the story is ongoing. It doesn't end at verse 17, chapter 3, right? So we've got to be mindful of that as we're looking. So we're probably going to look, go through that, that first chapter of Exodus and kind of take a peek at it. So tonight, we're going to look at Jacob's and Joseph's coming together. Let's see. And to do that, exactly what I said, we're going to go back to chapter 47, pick up where we left off, and then continue through. Let's do 29. In fact, Michelle, did we put the rest of those verses in? I think I forgot to tell you that. Yes, good. Thank you. Genesis 47, we're going to go through the end of the chapter and just bring to remembrance where we were at. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please don't bury me in Egypt. Now, before we go to the next place, we've already established, as odd as this may sound, this is correct interpretation and hermeneutics in the word of God. We often see in our English renditions, it always says place a hand on the thigh. But in reality, we talked about this leak, what it is, is, is a hand was placed on the genitalia area. And the reason for that is because it was a covenant of life. When this promise was being made, it was like saying, if you don't do this, your life's on the line, and so is your posterity of those that will come behind you. 
So that's really what that means. And what his plea was is he didn't want his body after he's gone because he's going to be, his spirit will not be there, right? Absent from the body is present with the Lord, but his ashes to ashes and dust to dust will remain. And he wanted that to not be kept in Egypt. Let's see what verse 30 says. Swear to me, and he swore to him. Okay, I think, I think we have to go back. So let's see. Do we have that, Nicole? Okay. So Genesis 47, I added to this, so Michelle just didn't put it in. That's okay. So we were at verse 29. Let's go to verse 30, which says, um, And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me, and he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Okay? So there's this transition that's taken forth. There's an agreement. They're not going to do that. And Joseph agrees, yes, I will do that. And it says here this most particular phrase that, that we read here that Israel, and notice the name change, okay? We've left Jacob. We're back to Israel again. And for those of you who haven't been studying with us or unaware, when we see Jacob's name change to Israel, we're seeing Moses telling us that he is moving into a covenant mentality, that he's acting and reacting under the ordinances of God and not in the flesh. So we see that name change take care of. But we see this most peculiar wording. It says that Israel bowed and worshipped on the head of the bed. Well, you might just read by that and just blow it off. Like, okay, well, I guess he was leaning on the head, you know, watching CNN. Please don't watch that. But anyway, uh, yes. So the word bed here, leaning on the head of the bed, that whole transliteration, that wording here, the word bed here is the Hebrew word mitta, mitta, and it's M-I-T-T-A-H. And the word does not mean bed. The word means staff. It doesn't mean bed. It means staff. I have no idea why those that translated this came up with that word bed because you take it and it literally is the word staff. Staff. I'm looking at the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint, we just went over this Friday, is the Hebrews' own language translated into Greek. That's what it is. So it's the original language translated in another language, okay? And when you read that in the Septuagint, which we would want to look at because it's, it's original language talk, okay? It would say this rather than on the head of the bed. It would say, swear to me, and he swore to him, and Israel did reverence, in other words, he worshiped, just like the verse said. But look at this, leaning on the top of his staff, just like mitta, the right word really is. Well, you might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, I think that is a big deal. Let's, let's just continue a little bit, and we'll talk about it as we go along. This seems to be right. When we, and you know, I have taught you as long as we've been studying together that rather than go to, to, to Jack Cook's commentary or Joe Smith's, uh, you know, interpretation of what something means, let's let the Bible first be the commentary for the Bible. We, we did that through the entire book of Revelation. We found out more good stuff by just knowing the rest of our Bible when we studied Revelation than we ever would have if we read 
Winsley's you know, interpretation of things. And such is the case here. It seems as though this is right, that the word is staff when we look at another place in Scripture, speaking of this verse and another one that we're soon going to get to in the very beginning chapters of verse 48. Look at this. Hebrews 11.21 says, by faith. Would you say by faith? Not by flesh. That's why we're using the name Israel, okay? Because he's moving in the ordinances and the instruction and the leading of God. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying. Well, sounds like we're in the right place so far, doesn't it? Blessed each of his sons of Joseph, he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Not leaning on the head of the bed. Leaning on the top of the staff. Would you say with me, staff? Now, see, now let's, let's just take a moment and just try to bring ourselves into remembrance on why this even blends us to think that this makes sense in other areas. Because this staff has been what he has leaned on almost since we've been studying him. Almost from the beginning. Because you remember when he had that wrestling match with God and his hip was dislocated, he had a limp, the word told us, and he always did have one. So this staff was that leaning reminder of his time with God, the covenant that was established with God, the, the reliance on God, the promise that was given to him. That's why leaning on the bedhead just doesn't cut it. Okay, not to mention that, that Hebrews tells us in 1121 a different scenario. But think about this. This staff, this was with him when he saw the angels ascending and descending. This staff was with him through Rachel, his falling in love with Rachel, his, his, his leaving Rachel, through the trading off that Laban put Leah before Rachel. This staff was with him with Billah and Zilpah, even he even was there from every step of the way in his leadership and God's training for reigning, if you will, right? It was there when Rachel died. This staff was there when he found out about Joseph. Oh, I'm sure that day he really leaned on this staff. I mean, that news just about took Joseph down when he found out that coat of many colors that was just drizzled with blood, and, and, and he was left to think that wild animals took him. Oh, you need to know that he worshiped God and leaned on the staff that day. It was with him. It was with him that when he found out that Joseph was alive and that reunited time came that we just read not too long ago, and he made his way up that Egyptian palace of a majestic isle with those lions running the course up and down. Oh, yeah. See, he hobbled up there, this feeble, dim-sighted guy leaning on this staff. And what did he do when he got there? He saw Pharaoh and leaned on the staff and blessed him. Because that blessing was out of him knowing who he was and his covenant rights with God. I, I just throw out to you tonight, what is your staff? Does, do people see you and, and do they, what do they see you? How do you lean upon the Lord? 
Is there, is there something that you have that God has allowed in your life that, that you're waiting for deliverance? Maybe, you know, sometimes things that we're waiting to get freed of can be a staff in our life to lean on. Right? I mean, we like the mountaintop times, but sometimes it's those hard places that become a staff, just like Jacob had, that we learn to lean upon God. And you know what? We may go through our life still productive, still reaching our destiny, but sometimes God just gives us something to lean on. Such is the case here with this man as we read this. Now we're going to turn over to the next chapter. We won't conclude it today because there's really one thing that I want us to leave here with. I want you to see this. Because I think this was, this was his mark. None of the other patriarchs had anything like this. Very interesting. But he had this. And it was, it was his, his remembrance point, if you will. But now as we turn over to chapter 48, this text, this narrative continues. And we read it such that way. So let's read for the first seven verses. Now it came to pass after these things. What things? The covenant promise that was just made between the two, that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. So something has, must have been escalated. Something must have changed. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, next. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the mitah, not bed. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me and said to me, Behold, I'll make you fruitful. Now, this, is, this is the reestablishment of the covenant, isn't it? Out of Isaac onto Jacob. Behold, I'll make you fruitful. I'll multiply you. I'll make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Verse 5. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Oh, this is something we need to take hold of. If you have a Bible up and you need one big fat red pen and underline that, they are mine. Look at this. Just as Reuben and Simeon. They are mine. Verse 6. Your offspring, whom you beget after them. So after Manasseh and Ephraim, they will be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So we talk about Ephraim and Manasseh. They'll be called by the same name, the same inheritance as Joseph's brothers. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ethram. Now, that's a very interesting when we see that word Ethram, because Ethram and Ephraim, Joseph's son, come from the same root word. Why in the world would he just all of a sudden bring up Rachel in the midst of all this? I think we're going to disclose that tonight. And I buried her there on the way to Ethram. That is what? Bethlehem. Okay, let's look at this. So Jacob is near death, and it's time for him to transfer the birthright. 
That's what this visitation is all about. It would include a double portion. Remember, we discussed what a birthright is. That means all of the property. Usually, the birthright was transferred to the oldest son. But not just that. Along with the transfer of the birthright, the property, and the double portion came the right to be the new patriarch. That's what I want you to see tonight as we're here. Now, before we go any further, I, I want to pick up a couple things that I think are very applicable for us tonight and something we can really go home with. I believe God just is just so excited for us to really take hold of tonight, and that's this. Verse 2 tells us that when Jacob found out that Joseph was, was making his way there, the word of God tells us that it strengthened him. Do you remember reading that? That he leaned on the staff and it strengthened him. I I want us to take a moment because I I really feel like as basic as this is, is as powerful as this is. And that is this. Do you realize how powerful a visitation is? I mean, sometimes we're looking to be the worship leader. Or, you know, not all of us can sing like I do. I realize that. Right? Why? What's so funny? Yeah. You're right. No, not all of us can do that. Not all of us are called to certain arenas and places in ministry. But may I tell you, we can all visit people. Every single one of us can strengthen somebody by a visit. I mean, I just cannot even begin to share with you the experience that I myself have seen with that. The appreciation when you just take the time to go to someone's house or you show up at their doorstep and you call and you bring a little something and you come in and pray. It doesn't have to be an all-afternoon event. It's, it's empowering. And all of us can do that. Every single one of us can do that. And, and I want to tell you that, that that is such a key, I believe, in I think sometimes we're, we're so busy with things, we text people rather than show up. I, I believe that God sent me here today to tell you a text does not take the place of a one-on-one personal visit. And, and quite frankly, I just have this hunch, I could be wrong, but I believe this world is as crazy as it is and getting crazier by the minute. And part of it is because we're in the end times, obviously we know that. But I believe another part is we're so removed from personal relationships these days. You know, everything is a distant relationship. I mean, I know people, they will not answer their phone. They just will not. It's text messaging, and I love them. But there are just some times that nothing replaces a face-to-face encounter and the laying on of hands. There's not laying on of texts. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is a powerful, powerful thing we're saying. And I have found this to be true, that when someone knows you're coming, someone is, is failing in some way, they're weak, they're sick, they're discouraged, they're tired, these, and you make time for somebody... That strengthens them. That's important for us to know. Because sometimes we're seeking titles and we don't do the very thing that every single one of us in the church can do. Every one of us can do this. And it's a powerful ministry. You want a ministry 
Get that. In fact, if, you, if you'd like some people, I have some people I can give you names of. You can just start on your powerful ministry tonight. Because this is really, really important. And I want you to know that, that it's amazing because I've seen this take place too. Jacob was blessed by their visit. Now they will be blessed because they visited. What we're about to read that's going to come is going to be a blessing that's going to come out of the strength of Jacob. And let me just let you know. I wish I had documented the number of times that I have gotten up at 5 in the morning, and I'm not there's nothing special. This is just sometimes how things happen with hospitals and things, and go to University of Penn or wherever and show up, and it's like, okay, I need my staff in the morning, right? But guess what? You leave there, there is a fulfillment in your spirit that you can't buy. And the harder... It is to, 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 to pass through that and get to the, to the place, that visit. It might be early. It might be late. It might be an emergency, whatever it is. But however hard it is, God has this way of balancing out with the biggest blessing you could imagine. And that's what's going to happen here. Jacob is going to be strengthened by this visitation. It's going to literally strengthen him. And in return... Joseph is going to be blessed because he went. And that is how it works. That is exactly how it works. So let's start taking this a little bit apart because we're going to see that this double portion, this, this birthright and the seed blessing is going to now to be declared. Now, in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's case, there, there's, a, there's an additional element in all three of them, okay, an additional element, and that's the seed promise. Because remember, we talked about the birthright, and we just described what all that involved, but the seed promise wasn't who the father elected to, to, to give it to. It was elected by God himself, okay? God was the one who elected who would receive the seed promise to the next generation, so as Jacob is preparing to announce the birthright, he begins with Joseph and Joseph's sons. And he starts out by recounting. This is how we know the birthright is about to be passed. He starts out by recounting the inheritance of what? That is what Abraham's covenant is. It's, it's, it's people multiplication, land, and seed promise. That's the comprising of Genesis 15. In the past... In the past, everything was transferred to one son. You remember, Abraham received the birthright, right? And he traded off or he transferred the birthright and the seed promise to who? Isaac, not Ishmael. It was all given to one son, okay? Next down the patriarchal line, we look at Isaac. Isaac was given both the birthright and the seed promise, that went to Jacob. Did it go to Esau? No, nothing went to Esau at all. So how in the world is God going to bless these 12 sons? Because after all, you know and I know, these are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's going to need to be a birthright. There's going to be a nation developed. How in the world is he going to do that? Is he going to just pick one tribe and then the other ones are just going to be outside of his promises? I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. Jacob will give the birthright, the double portion to Joseph, okay? 
except he's going to do it in a very unique way. Never been done before and will never be done since then. He's, Joseph will receive that. Jacob's going to give it to him again in this very specific and unique way, and this is how he'll do it. He grants an equal portion to both of his sons. Which names are who? Yes, Manasseh and Esau, uh, Ephraim. Who's the oldest? Okay, good. Now, he does this. You're thinking, well, how in the world can he do this? Because the birthright has to go to sons, doesn't it? It has to go to a family line. He does this by what I drew your attention to in our first seven verses, by legally adopting them as his own. Are you with me? Almost, you could say, it's almost like it's the third son of Rachel. That's why he speaks about Reuben and Simeon, which are whose sons? Leah's sons. And he compares Ephraim and Manasseh to them. Well, why would he do that? Because it's almost like he's saying, and these are Rachel's third son. Very interesting how this takes place because the ramifications through the rest of the Bible are just amazing, which we will see as we go along here. So he will divide that up. Jacob's action here prevents the birthright of the nation of Israel from ever being transferred to one single person ever again. What takes place here? This transfer of the birthright to Ephraim and Manasseh will forever change what we've been reading, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because never again will the birthright ever be transferred to a singular person ever again. That's why there's not a Moses or a Joshua or, or an Isaiah. It ends with Jacob, and this, this is the reason what we're seeing here. The birth, after Jacob, no man, no single man holds the birthright. The birthright is divided equally amongst the tribes. Okay, Let, let's take a look at that. Because today, as we sit here, the promises given to Abraham are shared among a nation of people, not a single person anymore. The promises are shared amongst a nation of people rather than a single individual. Let me take it a little step further. That's why we say that the salvation that we know and the promises of God come through the nation of Israel as a whole. Are you with me? Okay. Let me say it like this. Let's put it up on the screens. Israel the man begot Israel the nation. That's why his name was changed to Israel. Because God knew that this is why, again, let me take us back and try to put some pieces together. This is why he was leaning on his staff. That's why he wasn't called Jacob when he made this decision. He was called Israel because there was a bigger picture involved here than just a, a decision for that moment. It was going to affect the generations. And even as we sit here today, it affects us. We're going to celebrate a Passover Seder this week. And yes, that all originated you know, way back from the seed line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it's out of the nation of Israel that we celebrate this. The Exodus is a nation of people. It's not a single person. And, and our, 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 our small group time today, we had them mull over. Why is it? It ends with Jacob. This is why. Because the birthright was divided amongst two of Joseph's sons. And how he could do that is he adopted them as his own. So in essence, we've got 13 tribes here. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, wait a minute. I have some questions here because I've read in that Bible, and sometimes names are omitted, and sometimes it's a different, you know, list of names. I don't know if you've ever come across that. Anybody have? It's not always the same list. We will get to that, but just not tonight. But just for now, I just want you to understand what's going on and what's happening here. And it goes on to say, now through the nation, God brings forth the promise of salvation realized in, in, in Messiah Yeshua. So what we have, all that we have, is, is out of the nation now. Yes, it began there. That was the seed, if you will. But the seed grew, and now the blessing comes out of the nation. There's no more singular birthright that's given, okay? However, since only one tribe can bring forth the Messiah, we can't have the Messiah come out of 12 loins, can we? No, the Messiah's got to come out of one tribe. That remains the matter of who receives the seed promise. For the first time, Jacob does not pass on the birthright and the seed promise together. The birthright is going to be divided amongst the two, Ephraim and Manasseh, but the seed promise is going to be given to who? Judah. Judah, absolutely. And we will see that the next time we get together in chapter 49. It'll be as plain as those letters on the screen. You will see exactly what Jacob says to him. But for now, we've discovered Joseph has the birthright and will be the last in Israel to take hold of that. In actuality, Jake, Joseph got nothing. Although Joseph's name is written when the 12 tribes are written in the book of Revelation. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that, okay? We're going to work through that, and we'll get to that. But realize how, how, what's going on here, how God is taking the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now that seed has, you can, you can say in essence, it's created a harvest. Now it's going to be a nation that's going to be blessing. And what was said that was what was prophesied in the 15th chapter of Genesis. And, and you will have a multitude of people, and they, you will be blessed, and you will be a blessing. See, at that time, it was just Abraham, but eventually it was going to be a much bigger picture. It was going to be you and all of your seed that come out of you, and the lines that come out of you will be that blessing. Amen? Let me try to explain it this way. First Chronicles 5.2 tells us a little bit about it. Now, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn. So in technicality, you would think he would get it, okay? But see, here we read and we understand what's going on. But because he defiled his father's bed, can we have some air in here, somebody? Uh, because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph. You see that? Exactly what we just taught. The son of Israel... Notice, not the son of Jacob, the son of Israel. Karen, can we put the air conditioner on? Um, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. What's he saying here? There's not a birthright anymore. It ended here. Now, you will see in Hebrew homes that practice is still happens. It's tradition and whatnot, and often that still happens. But from God's perspective and God's economy, it ended here. That's why there is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then we have the nation of Israel. Because out of these tribes are going to come, what, a people group and a nation that God is going to bless. Yet Judah, guys, okay, so here's, here's where we see the seed differentiation. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, talking about the whole uh, 
drama with Joseph and all that took place. And from him came a what? Although the birthright was Joseph's. So here we see in Chronicles exactly what I just went over and taught you, the differentiation between the two. And out of Judah is going to come the ruler, and his name is what? Jesus, right. So the, the inheritance God granted to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now distributed evenly, evenly amongst Jacob's descendants. Now, next week, or the next time we get together, we are going to look at a very important chapter. We're going to finish 48, and then we're going to turn the page over to 49, and we're going to see this most amazing almost unique piece of scripture in all the Bible, especially in the book of Genesis. We're going to see Jacob, who this Israel, who is leaning on the staff of God and moving in the power of God. He's going to start prophesying over all of these tribes. He's going to call them to his bedside, and he's going to say, now Reuben, now Simeon, now this one. And he's going to use some vernacular that's going to seem strange to us. We'll, we'll try to pull some things out to make it relevant to our understanding. But I just want to tell you, everything he said has come to pass. Every prophetic word that was placed upon those boys happened. Even Joseph's sons. We'll get into that in, in, in a minute. So 13 portions divided 13 ways. I know you're saying, well, I thought there were 12 tribes. Well, this is where some of the different listings come in. Touch your neighbor and say, we'll get to that. Yes. All done by the Holy Spirit's leading. Leading because he was leaning. Amen? That, that, that's a, that, I may call this message that. Leading by leaning. <laughs> that is exactly how we're led, isn't it? By leaning on God, we are led and we can hear the Lord in so many different ways. All done by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 says he sat upon the bed once again, but we know it wasn't that he sat upon the bed. The word is mitah, and what it really means is he sat upon the staff. When he made this decision to give that portion to Joseph's sons, he was leaning again, being led as he leaned. And again, that moment is described in Hebrews 11. And we know it was a leaning because let's see it again. Nicole, Hebrews 11:21, by faith. By faith. Doesn't say by the flesh. Doesn't say it was one of those bad days Jacob had. By faith, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's son's worship, leaning on the top of his staff. See, good Bible students who, who take apart the word and, and we've had some time together to understand the word plays that are going on here, we get a deeper, deeper grip of what's happening. And we can tell here, some people think Silas wrote the book of Hebrews. I happen to think it's Paul, but, you know, whatever. Somebody wrote it and it's true and it's right. But here we see this scene played out again. And we see the writer, who I think is Paul, saying this was done by faith. This was done by a leaning of God, okay? And I thought this was interesting, too, just to capsulize and, and end. All I want you to see today is why this line ended, the patriarch line, visitation and how strengthening it is and how the blessing comes back to you. In fact, Luke tells us that the same measure that you give out will come back to you. See, that's why not only was 
Jacob strengthened by the vision of Joseph, but they received a blessing by doing it. By being there, they received a blessing. Hey, when you go to visit somebody, you'll strengthen them, and you put yourself right in line for one big fat blessing. But notice, earlier in the chapter we read that any other children that Joseph will have, they will be Egyptians. They will not be part of the tribes and the, and the, and the, um, the uh, passing on of that line. They won't be part of Jacob's family. This keeps Israel's line pure. See, remember we talked about them being separated in Goshen and what that was all about. And the same thing is taken. And I know this isn't probably any word in your dictionary, but I think it really describes it good. It keeps Israel's line pure and ungyptianized. Ungyptianized. Amen? Joseph, Joseph is like Jesus here. You know, we've been, we've, been, we've been looking at that parallel, haven't we? That typology of Joseph and how he's a type of Jesus. Look at this in Ephesians 1.5. It said, we have been predestined to adoption as sons. Just as he, Jacob adopted Ephraim and Manasseh, this, and he's a type, right? Joseph's a type. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Adoption. Adoption is an, is an amazing thing, you know, because you're chosen when you're adopted. You have been chosen. Touch your neighbor and tell them that. So since Jacob has promised to adopt Joseph's son, then he moves on to do just that. He's going to adopt them. And this is how he does it. Let's read verses 8 on. Then Israel saw Joseph's son and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I'll bless them. Now you might think that's strange. We just had this whole dialogue about his sons. Why in the world is he asking who they are? Well, I think scripture is going to tell us why. Now the eyes of Israel would dim with age so that he could not see them. So whatever was going on while this conversation was taking place, he couldn't see the boys right there, and apparently at some point he was sensing their presence, and this whole uh, text takes place. Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but holy moly, God has shown me not just your face, but your offspring too. Do we have any more? So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand. Now what is going on here? What's going on here? Because the right hand is the hand of blessing. You know, Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father, the right side it seems in Scripture to be, you know, that blessed area. So we know Manasseh is the oldest one, isn't he? So, so Joseph thinks he's going to help God here a little bit. Okay, so I'm going to put the oldest one, because you know what, God, I don't need your help. I know what you're going to do. He puts the oldest one on the right-hand side, okay, thinking this is how it's going to go, and brought them near him. Let's see what else it says. 
Then Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's hand. Guiding his hands knowingly. This is another place again where we see Israel, see, see the name. We're talking governed by God here. We're talking leaning on the staff here, okay? He knows what he's doing. He's being led by God to do this, even though this isn't usual. This is not usual procedure for this to take place. He said this, the God in him knowingly for Manasseh was the firstborn. Next. That's it. Okay. So let's, let's just look at one more. So verse, uh, let's read verse 15, and then we'll end there. And it says, And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all life long to this day, the God who fed me, this is the first time we see the covenant name of Jehovah, God is my shepherd. Ruah, okay, that, that's his name. And he starts proclaiming here, fed me all the days of my life. And the angel who redeemed me from all evil, yes, you'll notice that angel has a capital A, because it's not Gabriel and it's not Michael, it's the angel of the Lord, okay? Bless these lads, let the name be named upon them in the name of my father, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And that's where we're going to end. Now, I have a couple comments I want to make about that the next time we get together. But for today's sake, realize there was a switcheroo that took place here. This wasn't what Joseph thought was going to happen. But again, because, we're, because we, we've been taught by the Holy Spirit that when we see Israel spoken, that Israel means governed by God. And apparently, he was governed by God, led by God, for this to take place. See, it wasn't this, right? It was this. That's essentially what took place. And we're going to talk next time we get together about the amazing fruit that took place out of this. Because what he spoke over those boys, even though he did this, he was supposed to do this because exactly what he said to them took place. It wasn't like, oh, whoops, look what happened. I should have did this. The exact thing he said took place. And may I say to you, this is Jacob's most important moment in his entire life. I think this is, besides meeting with God and that name change that took place and the transference of the covenant, this is Jacob's shining moment because he is now moving out not just with the birthright of one single person, but he's moving out in the birthright of a nation. And it won't be many chapters we will see that take place, okay? Leaning on his staff. And next week we're going to find out all about this. I would love for you to... Refresh yourself in 48, read through 49. When we get back together, we're going to go over this because 49 is an amazing chapter as we look through the rest of the Bible and these tribes and the prophecy that was placed upon them. Can, can we, we're going to see that this took place. I'm going to give you examples of exactly what was said of them by Israel over them and how that took place. Would you stand with me? God, you know, I'm just caused to be placed in remembrance that there are no whoopses in your kingdom. 
that you, from the very foundations of the earth, before anything was ever formed, before, you know, before there was uh, time even as we know it, linear time, before you created government, which we see almost every day on the news today, uh, before you created this so close uh, word that is so close to your heart called the church, you put forth through time all of our days. In fact, Psalm 139 says that all of the days were fashioned for us when there was yet not one of them. So, Lord, I just pray that forever who's here that may be coming in here with some anxiety, you know, possibly there's just things happening that just are unsettling in their heart and mind, and they don't know what to do, and they don't know where to be. And God, we, we just thank you that while we put our right hand somewhere, you're actually moving it to the left because you are orchestrating our good and your glory. And I thank you for this amazing book of Genesis and the journey that we have taken through. And as we approach now the final three chapters, I pray that you would just help us to just glorify you, Lord, that we would just see you in such a higher level than we ever did before as we watch these sons go out and, 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 and change the world and develop into what we know is the nation of Israel today. And lastly, Lord, I, I, I lift up to you this, what I believe was a now word for the church, for this church, that this visitation subject. Father, I pray right now that you would rivet to our hearts the need to be in people's lives. Not a, not a text message, not an email, but that we would see the need to be face-to-face, -to, -face, to, to touch someone, to, to just give them a hug, to pray. These things are just so important to your heart. And also, Lord, I thank you that it's a way that you, you actually bless us. So I just pray right now that as we leave today that we would, we, you would rivet this message, Holy Spirit, to our hearts with just that, that we would, we would ask you, who, who, needs, who needs a visit today? Who can I bless today? Who can I strengthen with your presence in me? And Lord, lastly, the final lastly, I thank you, Lord God, that for, this, for this man, Jacob. I thank you for his good, his bad, and his ugly because we can relate to him and that he is just as much a patriarch as the rest of them are. In fact, you used him for a greater measure to just pass the birthright on to more than just one. May we be encouraged by that today, that if we have fallen short today or we've been weak in some area, that, that you still bless Jacob. And I just thank you for that, and I just play a blessing, a blessing over this congregation, over this church, not just ours, but the waters. And I just lift up the Arianic prayer that you said you would bless your people if we would proclaim it over them. So the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his great shalom. And whether you're Israel or Jacob, you are greatly loved.